Uh, we just have a kind of a brief message in comparison to the, the, my length that I would normally preach. We're concluding our series on the Sure Foundation. We're walking through what we believe as a church and just kind of watching how it all tied together. It just felt like this was the most appropriate message to do on Christmas morning. I know many of you, if you've been in church any amount of time like Christmas Day, you are Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, you always kind of get this Christmas Eve message, and then we're not going to really focus on Bethlehem and uh, the manger and all that today. We're going to focus on the fact that Jesus is coming back. See, last night at Christmas Eve, we talked about the eve of three different things, the eve of a great Savior coming into the world, and then how Mary and Joseph, they experienced that in Bethlehem. We talked about the eve of a great life, that when we accept Jesus in, we get to step into this great life and do what God has called us to do. And then we talked about the eve of essentially what is to come, this new heaven and new earth and eternity with God forever. And so we're grateful that you're here today, and we, I just want to recap really quickly what we've talked about over the, the course of the last several weeks. But we've talked about how this is the inspired word of God. That as a church, we believe every word that's in here. That if God said it, that God meant it. That if God did it, then God can do it today. We've talked about how we can know that God is the one true God and that Jesus is his son. We've talked about the fall of man and the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation that is represented in the Christmas story of Jesus being born was in play from the very beginning. That we talk about the ordinances of the church of why we do communion and why we do water baptism. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues of sanctification, the process of instantly and progressively being made right with God. The church and its mission, what it is that we're supposed to do and how it's been left up to us to go and tell the world about Jesus. We talked about how divine healing isn't just something that happened in the New Testament, but we're still in New Testament time. We're still experiencing uh, this, this new moment of grace, this new moment of peace, and we're able to go out and tell others about Jesus. And in, uh, at the same time, we're able to pray for people and see people healed. And last week, we talked about the blessed hope, the millennial reign of Jesus, and the final judgment. And that leads us to today's message, the idea of the new heavens and the new earth. That Jesus, the first time that he came, he came as a baby so that he could become a man, so that he could go to the cross and die on our behalf, that he could be resurrected, he could ascend back into heaven, and so that he could come again. And we're going to talk through that, what this new heaven and new earth is going to look like, because we have went through the process of Christmas Eve, anticipating the coming of the Savior. Now we're in the moment of the eve of his second return. We don't know when that moment's going to happen, but when it happens, what a glorious day it will be. And we're going to end today with a little fun surprise, but we're going to end with singing Joy to the World. And I mentioned it last night and about two weeks ago, but Joy to the World, and I'll share on the, at the end of the service, Joy to the World is not a Christmas song. It is a song about the second coming of our Savior and Messiah when he comes again, that he is coming back as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he is coming to reign. But before we get into that, would you repeat after me, Heavenly Father, your word is written in my mind and hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will see you with all of my strength. 
My greatest desire is to be a disciple and to make more disciples. I will live my life according to your word. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. Foundation number 16 is this, and look forward to the perfect new heavens and new earth that Christ is preparing for all people of all time who have accepted him. We will live and dwell with him there forever, following his millennial reign on earth, and so shall we forever be with the Lord. I think this is one of the greatest promises for us as believers, is that there is a new heaven and new earth. That we can get lost in the Christmas story of, oh, God sent his son, and yes, he did. And yes, what a great day that was. And yes, what a great day it was when Jesus was resurrected from the, the grave. But what a great day it's going to be when there is a new heaven and a new earth. Because we're going to see it when I read through the scriptures in a moment. But there is no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. All of those things will go away. No more fear, no more stress, no more anxiety. All of that goes away because we will be in the presence of the greatest present that has ever existed. God. He sent us Jesus that first time. But now we're going to be able to all live and walk and be with him for eternity. Mm -hmm. And what an amazing experience that will be. So the first and real point of today is there will be a new heaven and a new earth. This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Knowing the fact that a new heaven and a new earth is coming, we need to be intentional here of how we live and how we do our lives. That when we have the knowledge of who Jesus is, we realize the fact that this is the greatest news on the face of the planet and everybody needs to come into understanding of who God is and what God has done for us through Jesus. What an incredible day. So this references this fact of how we are to live because the things of this world are going to pass away, they're going to burn, they're going to melt away. But what does this new heaven and new earth look like? To see that, we have to jump to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 1. That I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Those who conquer will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. It's a great New Jerusalem. It's a great future that we can look forward to. And we need to see that we can think through this season of where sickness exists and pain exists and worry and stress and anxiety and all these things that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, that they will pass away and there will be nothing but hope in the presence of God. It is going to be a glorious, amazing day. That so often when we picture heaven, we have these wrong perspectives of what heaven looks like. We get those cartoon images where we're going to be sitting on a cloud and, well, that's going to be my cloud, and this is going to be my robe, and here's going to be my harp, and I'm going to sit here playing the harp for eternity. That is not heaven. I mean, unless you like sitting on clouds playing harps, maybe that could be your heaven. But that's not heaven. And you're going to see this in a moment when we read through a little bit further into Revelation chapter 21. This new heaven... In this new earth, this city of Jerusalem is going to be the most magnificent thing that we have ever seen. I remember about seven years ago, Annie and I went to the Grand Canyon, and I've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. You can kind of have an idea of, well, this is what the Grand Canyon will look like, but it's not until you stand there at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you look at it and you say, God created this. The beauty of it is just feeling like I'm looking at this giant painting that God made, but it's all real. It's all right there. That will pale in comparison to the moment it is when we step into the new heaven and new earth and we experience all of what God has created for us there. Mm -hmm. If we believe in Christ Jesus, if we believe in the reason why he sent Jesus the first time. Mm -hmm. We have to accept what Jesus did the first time so we can experience that second time and spend eternity in heaven forever. When we look at the city of New Jerusalem, we see that Revelation 21 continues to go on to describe it. In verse 16, it makes this uh, statement that the city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with its rod, 12,000 stadia, its length, width, and height are all equal. I know that you all use stadias on a regular basis in your measurement systems at home, but let me just break that down for you if you don't know what a stadia is. 12,000 stadia roughly equals 1,400 miles. I'm going to show you a picture in just a second. Don't put it up yet. But this new Jerusalem will be 1,400 miles wide, long, and high. And you think, well, that's big, but what does that really mean? Look at this picture of what, that's how big the new Jerusalem is going to be, covering just the ground. I mean, half of America covered is the, the city of New Jerusalem. But you look at that for a moment and you lose perspective because you think, well, that's just one big city. I mean, that, that is more land uh, size than the entire nation of India. It's a big spot until you remember the fact that it's also that in height as well. 1,400 miles high. Let, let me give you the comparison. Mount Everest is approximately 5.5 miles tall. You could stack 254 and a half Mount Everest one on top of the next, on top of the next, until you would reach the top of the city. This new city is going to be incredible. And remember when God's saying, I am making all things new. When he says that, he means it. 
Because we can say, well, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to have a glorified body. The rules of physics, the rules of what we're going to breathe or how all that works, I can't even understand it. Like, are we going to have super lungs or do we need oxygen in heaven? I don't really know. But when you get go to the top of Mount Everest, there's that need for oxygen tanks because of how high you are. Imagine if you were that high times 254. Everything is being made new in this new heaven and new earth. So the idea that we get fed so often in cartoons and movies of let me just sit and play my harp in, uh, in heaven for eternity, that's not going to exist. This city is going to be the most magnificent thing that you have ever seen. I want you to hear now, this is a little bit further into Revelation 21, starting in verse 18. It says, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth ox, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh uh, jason, the twelfth amorous, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its light or lamp is the Lamb. But its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Now you hear this, and this is one of those passages of scripture that so often it's like, well, what does that really look like? That I hear a lot of the walls are jasper and the floors are all this, and there's pure gold. How many of you know that God, when he says something, he's intentional of why he's saying things? And he might just be saying things that we don't quite understand yet. That God's ways are higher than our ways. And so when you hear this and you really think of this, let's start with the walls. The walls are made of jasper. Jasper's red. So the walls that are going to surround the city represent the blood of Jesus Christ. So for eternity, we're going to be dwelling in a city where the walls remind us of the protection of the blood that Jesus poured out when he went to the cross. And so it's this eternal reminder of what Jesus did for us here. And that we'll forever worship God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's not just the walls, there's also the foundations. Because as we talked about, we started the series with the idea of saying that this is the inspired word of God. You're going to see something, I'm going to show you a video in just a moment that deals with the foundation of the wall. Because it's not just saying, well, he just picked 12 stones to make for the foundation. It's 12 very intentional stones where you say, well, how can I know that the Bible is real? In a moment when you watch this, you're going to realize that the scriptures are inspired. That John the Baptist didn't know what you're about to see. No one at the time knew what you were about to, about to see. And scientists up to only several years ago didn't know what you're about to see. So I want you to watch a, a video now. It's going to show why God picked these 12 stones. New Jerusalem, it said, is built made up of 12 precious stones that we would make into jewelry now. Now here's the fascinating thing which to me is the final proof that that book is the Word of God. 
but it must be God-inspired. In the last generation only, we've discovered how to make purer light than we had before. Most light is bouncing around, waves crashing into each other, going in all directions, so that the light coming from that spotlight still lights this side of my face by reflecting off that, that tinsel up there. Um, we're used to light coming at us from all directions, but we've now discovered how to send light in one direction. Laser light is the most common. You've seen laser light beams straight as a die. But we've also got what we call cross-polarized light. A polarized filter, if you can imagine, allows light through like that. But if you put another polarized filter at right angles to that, you've really got a very fine filter. If you take sunglasses and take one lens and put it at right angles to the other, it goes even darker. It only lets very straight light through. Now, people have taken jewels and precious stones and cut a very thin slice for microscopic purposes and then shone cross-polarized light through them to see what happens, to put it very crudely, what happens to these precious stones in pure light. And one of two entirely different <coughs> things happens with every jewel. The technical term, to give you a bit of science for a moment, is anisotropic jewels and isotropic jewels. Now what happens is this, some jewels in pure light, whatever their color to begin with, they may be red, blue or green, turn into all the colors of the rainbow and the most fantastic patterns. Other precious stones in pure light lose all their color, just go black, look like a lump of coal dust. And it's only in the last, this generation, that people have discovered this unusual property. For example, diamonds in pure light are nothing. Did you get that, ladies? They're not Did even... You hear that? Diamonds, nothing. nothing. They won't be there. <laughs> no, so make the most of them here. <coughs> Rubies, uh, garnets, just lose everything. Emeralds. No, they keep it. I could. There are other stones that are anisotropic and go into these beautiful colors. Now, here's the fascinating thing. The 12 precious stones that God uses to build the New Jerusalem are all anisotropic. In pure light, they are all far more beautiful. And God doesn't touch the diamonds or the rubies. He doesn't build with them. Now, let's just put on the screen a picture of these stones. Yeah. Look at the top 12 stones on this picture and you'll see the stones of the New Jerusalem. Look at the four bottom ones at the bottom of the picture and you'll see they're black, no attraction, whatever. Now then, who knew this 2,000 years ago? No scientist knew it. Nobody knew it. John the Apostle writing the, down the book of Revelation as the Lord dictated it to him, he didn't know. Nobody knew except one person in the entire universe, and he knew, and that was God himself. Where is that written exactly? Revelation 21, right. halfway through, and you'll find all the 12 stones listed there. And you can just imagine from the picture we've seen on the screen how beautiful the new Jerusalem is going to be. Mm. No need for do-it-yourself decoration or changing rooms there. No need. The materials that God uses will be fabulous. So when you watch that, the realization of 
From moment one, God knows. This is the inspired word of God. What are the chances that you could just happen to pick the 12 stones that are like that? But here's the thing I want you to catch. When you hear this, they're, they're saying the pure light of laser light. That's the best that, at least at this point, that mankind can create to illuminate these stones. But listen again. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. They will bring to the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who has done what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What's going to be the source of this pure light in heaven? God himself. So as beautiful as we can make those stones look on our own effort, how much more amazing will it be in heaven? And that's the thing that we have to remember, that Jesus came the first time. And we celebrate that so that he could set us free from sin. But he's coming back second time to be king. Mm -hmm. That's what they wanted at the time. That's what ended up taking him to the cross, is that he wasn't who they thought he was going to be. But he was exactly who we needed him to be that first time. But when he comes again, he's coming to be king. If I can have the, the worship team go ahead and come forward. Today as we prepare to uh, conclude service, when you, you came in, you all got your spans. I'm just going to ask you to slip this wristband on, you'll see why in just a moment. You don't have to do anything with it. But in a moment, we're going to sing Joy to the World. And I want you to raise your hands. I want you to join in worship. I want you to get excited because God is Lord. Amen? You see, Joy to the World, as I mentioned, is not a Christmas song. Most Christmas carols focus on the story of the nativity and the past. The joy of the world encourages us to look forward to the future. It's a second coming song. That it was originally part of a book of poems written by the great English hymn writer Isaac Watts in 1719. Based on the 98th Psalm, the poem was never intended to be a Christmas song or any song for that matter. It was just a poem based off the Psalms. A century later, a Boston music teacher named Lowell Mason discovered the poem and set it to music. Because it was released at Christmas time, it quickly became a holiday favorite and became the most published Christmas carol in America. Do I think that's by chance? Absolutely not. That as God is excited that we would take time and remember Jesus' first coming, even in the midst of that, God's pointing us towards the second coming. Because there's so many people that miss the first coming, we cannot afford to miss that second coming. Let me encourage you today that if that's you and you're saying, you know what, I don't have that personal relationship with Jesus, it is simply just asking Jesus to come into your life and being Lord of your life. If you don't know how to do that, including service, come to our Welcome Center. We would love to have a conversation with you to lead you in that prayer and help you meet Jesus. But I wanted to walk through a few of these words from Joy to the World for a moment. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. 
There are so many moments in that Christmas story where there wasn't a place for him to go, but there was a manger. Don't think of yourself, well, I'm not that great of a person. A manger was where he was born into, that he was placed as a baby. Doesn't matter where he's placed, he just wants to be placed in your heart and in your life. Prepare him room. Joy to the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. How incredible is God's righteousness. No more will sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He'll come and make the blessings flow far as the curse was found. That sin and that sorrow one day in heaven, the sin and sorrow will be gone. The pain will be gone. But we'll be able to live in the excitement and the promise that God has given us. And the blessings are going to flow as far as the curse is found because it will not be found in heaven. Amen? He rules the world with truth and grace and gives to the nation's proof the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Church, would you just stand with me today as we sing joy to the world? And I want you to sing this song like you've never meant it before. Because God has sent us Jesus so that we could be made right. That last night we celebrated with candlelight of that promise of that hope of Jesus coming again. But today we're going to celebrate with some colorful light because we anticipate that day where we arrive in heaven. And it is the most beautiful, most illuminated thing because the pure light of Jesus will make that place look like we can never even imagine here. Let's worship this morning. <laughs> 